were worthy. For you have been worthy since eternity past. You are worthy not because of what you have done or what you have accomplished. You're worthy just because of who you are. You are the great magnificent one. You are wonderful. You are marvelous. You are glorious. You are great. Worthy of our praise. and Worthy of our honor this morning, dear God. And for... And Father, we are grateful that you allow us, the broken folks that we are, to come before your mighty throne of grace. Because of the shed blood of Jesus, you give us right standing and you say that when we do come, we don't have to come with the spirit of fear or timidity. But Lord, we can come before your throne with boldness because of what Jesus Christ has already accomplished. And Father, I beg that you will pour out your Holy Spirit unto us this day that we will worship you for who you are. Father, help us to cast our cares upon you right now. The issues of life, may we give them to you right now. The, the challenges and the difficulties, can we call upon you, Lord, and allow us to cast our cares upon you right now. Father, I ask that you would make us aware of your presence because you are already here. Please, Lord, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Give us a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of you. May you open up the eyes of our hearts that we may behold your glory this day. Father, thank you for the songs that have been sung. Thank you for pairing for preparing us to worship you. May you lead, guide, and direct us, O oh God. For the one who is struggling, broken, I ask that you would begin to build him up through your word, through the body of Christ, this covenant community. May you use us to be your hands and your feet to speak encouragement. And right now, Father, I ask that you would use my foolish words to bring much glory to your name. Have mercy upon me, Lord, if I am in desperate need of you. Lord, we do shout hallelujah. We do say thank you and that we love you. In the precious and matchless name of Jesus the Christ, we do pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. To each and every one of you, welcome to the church gathered at Forest Baptist, for we are Forest Baptist Church. And if you would, this morning, as we prepare to dig into God's word, turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew, the 16th chapter. Turn with me to Matthew, the 16th chapter. Today, we will be continuing a series that is entitled, Why on Earth is the Church? Why on Earth is the Church? And in this passage of Scripture, we see Jesus speaking to his disciples. He is polling them to find out who is it that the folks say that he is. But then it's that intentional, that pointed question, who do you say that I am? 
And because of God's grace, Peter responds in a magnificent way, acknowledging who Jesus Christ is. And built upon that profession of faith, built upon that, that rock, Jesus said he would build his church. So if you would, Matthew the 16th chapter, please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word. Beginning with verse 13, this is the word of God. Please hear the voice of Christ. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the son of man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah and others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. The Lord had a blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. Continuing from last week, the tag upon this morning's text is the church is. The church is. Simply answering the question, what is the church? It's easy to take for granted the fact that the church is here and is established. It's easy to take for granted the fact that we are able to come and gather corporately each and every Sunday morning to worship. We, we can easily take for granted that the person that is sitting down the aisle from you is going to be there next week. It is so easy to take for granted the church. You know, you showed up this morning and no matter how you have gotten here, no matter what your week was like, whether you barely made it, dragging yourself in, because the various issues of life were just on your head and on your back. Or whether the Lord uh, has tremendously kept you this week and you came here with the excitement. Uh, either way, it's easy to take for granted just what the church means to our lives. You know, it's because that we take the church for granted and it is necessary for us to pause and to reflect upon what is the church. We pause because there is there are differing perspectives in the greater culture, in the world, as to what the church is. Everyone has their own idea and expectation of what the church is. Last week, we talked about on one extreme, you have people who believe that the church is useless, it's not necessary, uh, organized religion uh, doesn't need to be done, they just out to get all your money. But then on the other side of that, church can become just another social club. A place that you gather with other people whose hobby is God. And it's easy to just to go through the traditions and to say rote prayers. Things that really don't matter to you on the inside just because you've been doing it so long. It's easy to take for granted what the church is. But beloved, that is exactly why we open up the scriptures when we come to church. Because it's easy to listen to so-and-so and what they said to get an understanding of what the church is. But if we're going to understand what the church is, we need to go to where the church was founded. And that's to the mouth and the words of Jesus the Christ. 
And even from this text and reflecting about, uh, uh, reflecting back on last week, we see that the scriptures reveals to us the church is a divine institution created by Jesus, built with his people for God's eternal glory. I'll say that again. The church is a divine institution created by Jesus, built with his people for God's eternal glory. See, and in that, we have to understand that it is Jesus who's doing the building here. We don't build the church. We don't add to the church. We simply give people the invitation to come by, by presenting them the gospel. It is not how slick or how sweet we present the gospel that gets someone saved. Understand, when you are sharing the gospel, you're merely coming behind the fact that the Holy Spirit has already been at work. I don't know about you, but before I came to faith, there was a lot of time where God was using people, situations, and circumstances in my life to, life to prepare me to receive God's word. So it's not us who are adding to the church. It is God who's adding to his church and he's using us as the building materials. Get that. You are a brick for the Lord. Now, you could take that good or positive, or it could be a good thing that the Lord is using a brick to build his house. Or, or you might take it in a negative way that you calling me a brick? You saying I don't know nothing? No. But there's a perspective that we do need to have. That God is using people to build his church. And he wants to use you. And whether or not you, you submit to him to be used for his church, that's something you have to wrestle with even today as we go through this sermon. But God is using people to build his church. The word here in verse 18 is the Greek word ekklesia, which simply means the assembly or the gathering. Those who have been called out and are gathered together, this assembly of people, used 114 times in the New Testament, not every time to speak of the church, but over 109 times it is used to speak specifically to the people of God. Not an ordinary people. This is a particular and specific and special people. And last week when we were considering the topic of what is the church, we talked about that there were two aspects of the church we have to understand. There's the church universal. And there's the local church. The universal church is the collection of believers through all ages, throughout all time, who have repented of their sin and trusted in Jesus Christ for salvation. Those who all throughout time have surrendered their life to Jesus, they have looked forward to the promise of Christ, they have looked at the promise of who Christ is, or they have looked back to who Jesus is. So everyone who has lifted the name of Jesus up, surrendered their self unto him, is part of the church. So if you are part of the church today, if you have genuinely surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, then understand you're part of those folks uh, uh, who could be named like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, David and Noah. Those, who, those great patriarchs of the faith, you can be named with them. But yet there is another aspect of the church that is the local church. And the local church, that is the Little C Church, and that is the, the gathering of the local congregations all throughout the world. This morning, on, uh, this, this being the, the Lord's Day, the first day of the week, many churches are, are, are gathered in the name of Jesus Christ to worship and to lift him up. That is why we're here. The local church has a particular purpose in the lives of believers. 
throughout this series, we'll look at this a little bit more. But the local church is necessary to your sanctification, your Christian maturation, and your overall growth in the Christian walk. One thing that I want us to understand, we must understand that the church is not optional if it comes to you growing in Christ. The church is not something that you can leave or take if it comes to you wanting to be obedient to God. That first of all, we just we 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 want to be a part of church because we want to be obedient. See, that's an issue for us. We don't like anyone telling us what to do. We want to do whatever we want to do. And, and the fact that scripture even says that we are to be a part of the church, we, we, we turn our nose up at that. This is not me trying to convince you, trying to, trying to lure you in. I, this is me trying to reveal to you what God has already said of what it requires to be obedient unto him. So when we think about the church, we need to think about it in, in terms that the Bible lays out for us. So last week, we did start by stating that We need to understand that the church is extraordinary and not ordinary. This is not something just regular. Because the brand name of Jesus is on the church, it makes the church something special. It's not something that, that, that anyone can attribute uh, to, uh, to their own cause, but the, the Jesus who created the universe. The Jesus who is above all things, the Jesus that at whose name every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess, it is that Jesus whose name is on the church. So if we have a low view of the church, then we actually have a low view of Jesus Christ. And our problem is not with the folks in the church, our problem is with Jesus. Again, this, this is not about us. This is an issue of obedience. So what that means is it doesn't matter how them folks up in the church are acting. Are you being obedient to what God has called you to? Amen. It doesn't matter what's going on over here or going on over there. Are you being obedient to what God has called you to? Amen. That's why I love to hear, and I say it all the, uh, all the time. I, I, I love Charles Stanley's quote. He always says, you just obey God and leave the consequences up to him. Amen. Sometimes you just got to be obedient. And if folks want to act a fool, you just hand them over to your heavenly father and let him deal with that. But you do what you're supposed to do. God wants our obedience and to esteem the church because his name is on it. But not only that, last week we looked at the fact that the church is a gathering of God's particular people. The church is, isn't made of just anybody. We talked about the, the visible and the invisible church. 
The visible church being all the people that we can see. But no matter one's faithfulness, we still cannot see an individual's heart. And if we can't see an individual's heart, we, we can't truly know. But the invisible church is the church that God has brought to himself because God knows the heart. And the invisible church are those who have truly trusted in Jesus Christ through faith. So when we talk about God's particular people, we're not talking about just anybody. We're talking about a people called by the Father through the power of the Holy Spirit, redeemed by the blood of Jesus through faith. We're talking about a people that the triune God has called out of darkness and brought into the marvelous light. We're talking about a people that are that is peculiar and special and significant to God. That's what the church is. And the church is made up of the people who gather under the banner of this confession we see that Peter makes. In verse 16, Simon Peter says, you are the Christ the son of the living God. The church is made up of all those people who are gathering under the banner that Jesus Christ is Lord. If you're gathering under any, any other banner, then you are not part of the church. If you're gathering under the banner of, well, this is just what we've always done, then you're not part of the church. If you're gathering under the banner of, well, I wonder what they think about me, then you're not part of the church. If you're gathering under the banner of, this makes me look good, then you're not a part of the church. We gather under the banner that Jesus Christ is Lord. And this week, as we explore this question of what is the church, we continue. All throughout the Bible, the Bible uses metaphors to explain and help us understand what the church is. The church is compared to a field, it's compared to an olive tree, a vine. The church is compared to a flock and, and buildings, and the church is compared to being a family. But for the purposes of today, I just want to flush out two metaphors that the, the Bible uses to describe the church. So for today, part of what we're going to look at is the fact that the church is the bride of Christ and the body of Christ. The bride of Christ and the body of Christ. In verse 18, when Jesus makes the statement, I will build my church. This statement is one of certainty. This statement is one of assurance. But beloved, notice this, this is a statement of possession. Jesus is saying, I will build my church. They will belong to me. This is a possessive declaration. He's not just building a church. This is Jesus' church, which is why these two metaphors work so well, because both these metaphors are, are speaking about possession and connection. So the first thing we look at is that the church is the bride of Jesus. Oh, we love weddings, don't we? We know some, I know some, some new folk in here who love weddings. I hope they love weddings. <laughs> but weddings are a glorious time, a beautiful time. We love going to weddings. We love being invited to weddings. We love to, uh, to see uh, uh, 
the groomsmen and the bridesmaids. We love to see the de decorations and the songs. And it is just a beautiful event. And what happens is, Though the bride is not the center of attention, it's, it's not her day per, per se, but, but yet there is a special moment where we stand and watch the bride walk in, in her beauty and in her glory. Beloved, that is the language that Jesus wants us to use when we talk about the church. Something that is beautiful, special, set apart, not, not like the bystanders who are standing up, but the bride is the one that is walking down and becomes the center of attention. That's the church. The one that the, the white carpet is rolled out for. And as the bride walks down, all eyes are on her because something special is about to take place. When the Bible talks about the church being the bride. It's talking about this beautiful thing, this special, set-apart, spectacular thing that, that radiates its beauty all throughout creation. Make sure you have your, your Bibles or devices handy. We're going to be looking at a lot of scriptures. First, I want us to look in the book of Revelation because the Bible uses language about the church being the, the, the bride Many times, but this one is particular. In Revelation 21, verse 2 and verse 9, the text says, And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Looking good. Verse 9, the angel goes to the apostle John, then he came. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. Who is the lamb? Jesus Christ. The church, we the people, we look forward to that day where we will walk down the aisle to be wedded to Jesus Christ. But in the meantime, we prepare but in the meantime, we get ready. Turn with me to Ephesians, the fifth chapter. This is what we want to look at. Ephesians, the fifth chapter, starting with verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water, washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she, that she might be holy without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Now watch here. This, this mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. 
the imagery of the husband and wife union, the, uh, the, the marriage that takes place, it is so important in understanding how Jesus loves the church. As a matter of fact, God wants us to understand how he loves his people to the extent that God created marriage to show off Jesus Christ. It's not the other way around. So God gives marriage to show that Jesus is taking to himself a people, a bride for himself. He is going to cleanse her. He is going to wash her. He's going to care for her. He's going to cleanse her and make her and present her as the beautiful bride that she should be. That is what Christ is doing. Beloved, this bridal imagery does a few things for us. Firstly, this imagery shows us that it shows us the eternal purity of the church. The eternal purity of the church. The church doesn't just show up to her wedding any old way. She doesn't just roll out of bed, hair undone, unkept, once you on, once you off, and come walking down the aisle. No, the church comes prepared, washed by the word of God. She's been, she, she wakes up in the morning and, and gets her washcloth of scripture and begins to wash her face and to wash her body and to begin to prepare and to cleanse herself in, in, in order to be presented before Jesus without blemish, spot, or wrinkle. That is the church. So when we think about the the imagery of, of, of the church being the bride, one thing that we need, one question that we need to be asking ourselves is how are you contributing to the cleanliness of the church? If the church is this mutual assistance and washing, how are we helping one another to look good for Jesus? Are we walking with one another in humility and in grace to encourage one another, spur one another on to good works? Or, or are we walking around looking at one another, seeing that there's a need, seeing that there's a struggle, and saying stuff like, it ain't my business. I ain't worried about it. Are you contributing to the cleanliness of God's church? You know, when I think about, you know, we got, we, we got too many vans, and like every time I open a door, it's a mystery of what we're going to smell. Sometimes when the children get in the car and when you stop at McDonald's, it's fries uh, in between the seats, it's, it's candy stuck on the floor, there's, there's all kind of uh, mess that kind of take place sometimes in that minivan. And we're always encouraging them, help keep this stuff clean. Contribute to the cleanliness. Beloved, when, when the doors of the church are open, what are people going to smell here at Forest Baptist Church? Are we really cleaning up after ourselves? Are we, are, or do we see mess and walk over and say, well, it ain't mine? 
I ain't worried about it. No, the bride of Christ helps us to see that God wants us to be beautiful and pure without blemish or spot. But not only do we see that imagery of eternal purity, when it comes to the church, we have this image of the eternal love Jesus has for the church. Jesus has a unyielding, undying love for his church. Jesus affirms marriage in Matthew, the 19th chapter. He's talking to the Pharisees and he quotes Genesis 2 and he says, a man therefore should leave his father and mother and be uh, and cleave to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. But then what, what Jesus says, he said, what, what God has put together, let no man separate. Jesus is talking about the, the marriage union that nothing should separate the, the union that a husband and a wife has. So what Jesus is saying by affirming marriage, he's saying, the love that I have for you cannot be broken. The love that I have for you, for my church, will never fall apart. I, when, when you belong to me, I, I won't get too mad at you while I just want to get rid of you. The love that I have for you is, is, is so high and so great that nothing can overcome it. The love that Jesus has for the church is spelled out for us in Romans the 8th chapter. Turn with me to Romans the 8th chapter right quick. Romans the 8th chapter. Beginning with verse 35 and the word of God reads, who then, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sore as it is written for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all things, things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. In verse 38, it says, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor death, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. When we show up as the bride of Christ and we know that Jesus will never put us down, he's not going to get rid of us. We may fall, we may fail, we may falter, but Jesus says, I have an undying, unyielding, eternal love just for you. Jesus ain't going to fall out of love with you. Because he chose to set his affections upon you. And we see that when he, when he is lifted up high and stretched wide. Jesus chose to go to the cross to set his affections upon you. This is the bride of Christ. But guess what? The Bible also says that the bride must get ready. The bride must get ready. When we think about the, the bride and the, the bridal shower and the bridal party, and we think about the day that the, the wedding is, is supposed to be taking place, uh, hair appointments have been set up. The steamer has been brought out. All kinds of stuff are, are being brought together and prepared so, so, so when the time of the wedding comes, 
she can be married. In Matthew, the 25th chapter, we see Jesus speaking the parable of the ten virgins. Five had oil, extra oil for their lamps. Five didn't. And they were waiting for the bridegroom to show up. And, and the five who didn't have any, they, uh, any left, they, they start asking, hey, 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 let me get some, let me get some of your oil. And other five brides like, no, you should have been prepared. You can't have mine, but I'll tell you where to find some. And they tell them to go get some oil, but when they go, they miss out because it's in their absence that the bridegroom comes. What is that parable? That, that parable is about judgment day. Because the language of the church being the bride is language that speaks about that we are being prepared to get married. There's, there's an already not yet aspect to our marriage with Jesus Christ. When we repent of our sins and we come to Christ, we are married to Christ. But yet, there's a day where an actual ceremony is going to take place. There's going to be a day where there will, there will actually be angels shouting and singing. There's going to be a choir and a chorus that shows up at this wedding. And at this wedding, it's going to be all kind of, uh, I can only imagine what, what kind of fireworks God has up his sleeves for this particular wedding. And when we show up, there's going to be an actual marriage ceremony where the bride of Christ is married. But guess what? If we don't get ready, we won't make it. We can keep acting like we're the church. We can keep acting like we're about to get married. We can keep acting like we're, we're well, you know, uh, uh, we're going to get married uh, uh, probably about six months from now. Y'all been dating for 12 years. And some of us have been dating the church for 20 years. We've been dating the church for 30 years. We've been, we just been kind of hanging around the church like that's my girlfriend. But, but, but if when Jesus comes back, he's only for those who have that certificate with his name signed in blood. And only those who got that covenant relationship will be married to him. So when we think about this language, the Bible talks about the church being the bride. Can we actually love Jesus and not care about his bride? I've heard examples be used before. How can you really love me if you don't like my wife? How much love do you have for me if you don't like my bride? Because if you don't like my bride, I'm not sure how much I'm going to like you. Or can you be married to anything or anyone other than Jesus and still go to heaven? Where are your allegiances? Where have you hooked up your life? Beloved, this reality should cause us to intimately commit to Jesus, to press into Jesus, to know that there's an unfailing love that he has for me. But the church is not only the bride, but the church is the body of Jesus. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter. First Corinthians, the 12th chapter, beginning with verse 12. 
Christ. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged. Who arranged? God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again to the head, nor again the head to the feet. I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seems to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which are, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. God is giving us an, an illustration of just what it means to be part of the body. This mutual dependence, this mutual need. Think about how complex and complicated the human body is. Think about all the, the neurons and the, the blood cells and everything that needs to be working together for you just to walk up in here today. Think about all that has to happen in your mind and your brain. The heart can't be the foot and the foot can't be the, the hands. There's different parts to the body. What this shows us is that the body of Christ is complex, but yet every person, every part is necessary. And it reveals to us the eternal connection that Jesus has with his people. Because we're the body. The Bible tells us that Jesus, he's the head. If you ever sever the head from the body, the body dies. If you ever think uh, uh, that you can live without your head, then something's wrong with you. And if as a church we ever begin to think that we can do anything without Jesus, then we are doomed for failure and we will die. There's an eternal connection with Jesus. But then also there is eternal unity that Jesus has with his people. We're functioning together. We are a called out group of people who, who the Bible is, is, is pressing us to throw down being an individual. We all want to be an individual. We want to be our own person, our own God. But, but Jesus comes in, and you know, Jesus, he, he, he turns that thinking upside down, and he says, you think you don't need nobody, but you actually need all these folks in here. There's a connection 
of every muscle, of every fiber, of every tendon within the entire human body. And if we try to function as individuals who just show up to a building once a week to do the work of God, we will die. We will fail. Beloved, if you are genuinely connected to the body of Christ, then your destiny is mutually tied to the church. If you are genuinely connected to this local body of Christ, then guess what? If we go up, you go up. But guess what? If we go down, you go down. And it says one, one, one part of the body is affected by another part of the body. If, if, if you are living a hidden sinful life, Though it may be hidden to you, it still affects all of us. Because we are connected. You are not on the island unto yourself. And what this should do is cause us to intimately commit to one another. The church is the bride of Jesus. The church is the body of Jesus. But then lastly for today, and for this, uh, to finish answering this first question, what is the church? I just wanted to see how the church is the earthly outpost of heaven. The church is the earthly outpost of heaven. Look back with me in Matthew 16th chapter. Again, in verse 18. Jesus speaking to Peter, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. But watch here. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The gates of hell shall not prevail against The gates of Hades, Satan's uh, a defense mechanism. Satan puts up this, this gate to try to hinder the progress of the gospel. Satan is, is putting up a gate to, to keep out that which God deems is good and right and necessary and he's trying to keep in those who are enslaved and, and broken and are hurting and in shackles. But, 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 but Jesus says that the gates of hell will not prevail what he is uh, accomplishing and what he is doing in the world. What Jesus has done with the church is through his initial invasion, he has secured some, some land in order to continue his invasion. When I think about World War II, the Allies are, are fighting in Germany and they have been losing, but the whole tide of the battle changed after D-Day. After the, uh, America sent its forces to, to land on the, on the beaches, from that day forward, the Allies had a, a foothold on the land. And once that happened, it was just a matter of time before the enemy failed. And when we show up to church when, and we gather corporately and we, we lift uh, praises up to God and we worship to God, well, what, we're, what we're saying to Satan is, brother, it's just a matter of time. You, you may have tried to pick me off this week, but it's just a matter of time before you're crushed. When we sing praises to God and, and lift up holy hands, we're saying, you may have had me down on Wednesday, but there's going to be a day where you will never have me down. You, you may have been beating me up on Tuesday, but in glory, you're going to be crushed and you will be defeated. The church is on foreign soil waging war against Satan and his minions. This local 
church, this outpost of heaven, we are the visible, tangible expression of the body of Christ. Though the local church is not the kingdom of God per se, we are the outpost, the embassy for the kingdom of God. That's why the scripture is so quick to call us ambassadors for Christ. We are representing a, 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 a heavenly divine kingdom. But the church, we represent Jesus' rule right now. Let me show you two verses in Ephesians. Turn with me Ephesians, the second chapter, right quick. Ephesians, the second chapter, verse 6. Paul talks about how we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We used to follow Satan, but God being rich in mercy, he has, he has brought us out of that darkness. He, he has made us alive with him. But not only does he make us alive with him. Let's start with verse, Ephesians, the second chapter, start with verse 5. He says, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. So we're revived and we once were dead, but we're woke. By grace you have been saved. And then what he does is, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. See, see, that's, that's an already not yet. Because the text tells me, though my body is right here in front of you, my position is securely seated next to Christ in heavenly places. So though I'm here, I'm still in heaven. I, I've already been sealed. I, I'm not there yet, but I'm, I'm there yet. I, I, but while I'm here, my role is not to be an outpost, this, this representative of, that, of my position in high places. My role is to demonstrate the glory of Christ all throughout creation because I've been seated in heavenly places. But not only that, in chapter 3, verses 9 through 11, we see another aspect, and it says, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, verse 10, so that through the church, the people of God, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. The manifold wisdom of God is shown off through your life when we are the church together. Beloved, what the church is, is the gospel manifest. When people walk in, they should see the gospel happening and taking place. They should see folks exercising the fruits of the spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. When people come in, they should see how the gospel has called us, Colossians uh, 3, to put off sin, to put off uh, selfishness, to put off all, all wickedness and evil, and they should see us putting on righteousness, putting on good works, putting on kindness. 
this reality should cause us to show up and serve. God wants to use your life to demonstrate his wisdom. The only question that we have to ask today then, is the presence of Jesus a reality in your life? Can people really look at your life and tell that Jesus has changed you? Can people really look at your life and understand that God is using you for his glory and his purposes? Or when people look at your life and they ask questions like, why did you go to church? And you just say things like, well, I grew up in church. I just always go to church. When our answer should be because I love Jesus and the people of God and want to worship him. Is God purifying you and sanctifying you and cleansing you and washing you with his word? If God is not cleaning you up from the inside out, are you the bride of Christ? Is God using you to connect and to uh, speak into the lives of other people? Is he using you to help with, with the body of Christ no matter what's going on? Is he using you to be a benefit and a blessing? If not, then are you part of the body of Christ? Is God using you to bring transformation and change in other people's lives? Is he using you to be a, a verbal and living witness for his glory? If not, then are you the outpost of heaven? So if, you, if you're not the bride of Christ and you're not the body of Christ and you're not the outpost of Christ, then you don't belong to Christ. But guess what? God gives grace. And he says that for anyone who will call upon the name of the Lord, you will be saved. So when he says call upon the name of the Lord, he's not just saying, well, I'm just going to say the name of Jesus and be saved. He's saying those who, who cry out and call out to Jesus, knowing that he is the way, the truth, and the life, knowing that he, he causes us to turn from our sin and to turn towards him. When we call upon him, knowing that he was the one from eternity past that, who stepped into our world to live a sinless life. To live the life that we could not live and to, to die the death that we deserve. Well, it's, it's, it's then when we call upon the name of the Jesus, uh, call upon the name of Jesus, you will be saved. And become part of his church. Though you may not be part of the church now, through repentance and faith, you can be a part of the church today. Beloved, local church is not a country club or Masonic temple for the purposes of gathering, self-service, and acceptance. The local church is a people whose confession is Jesus is Lord. Beloved, are you a part of the church? In Luke 19.10, Jesus said he, he's come to seek and to save the lost. But in John 3.36, he says, whoever believes in Jesus Christ has eternal life. But whoever does not obey shall not see life. And the wrath of God remains on him. Are you a part of the church today? The church is 
a divine institution created by Jesus, built with his people for God's eternal glory. May we live that. May we know that. May we represent that. Let us pray. Lord God, thank you for your word. Thank you for revealing to us your purposes for the church and just who she is. Father, the church is not a building, but a people who trust in you. A people who have surrendered, living for themselves, and have turned towards you for salvation. Father, show us how tradition and sinfulness clouds who you really are and what this place really is. And Father, I ask that you would set some captives free. Please open the eyes of our hearts that we may see Jesus more clearly. And we will press into him and trust in Christ alone for salvation. Lord, may you speak to that one today who's been living for themselves. But Lord, may they live for the one who died for them. Lord, we ask that you continue to have your way in this worship service. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' precious holy name, we do pray. Amen. Well, beloved, at this time, the doors of the church are now open. If you are here this morning and you believe God is calling you to be part of his church, not for his Baptist church, but the people of God gathered everywhere through all time. And the Lord is drawing your heart to repent of your sin, to, to turn from yourself and to turn towards him. Then I ask that you will come, talk with one of our deacons, one of our pastors, and we will show you from the scriptures what must you do to be saved. Or maybe you hear and you, you have not esteemed the church for who she is. You have not been pursuing her cleanliness. And you want to repent and ask Ask the Lord to forgive you for thinking so lowly of the church. Or maybe you're here today in various issues of life, health issues, financial issues, family issues are on you and you want someone to just pray with you and for you. You can come. One of the pastors and one of the deacons will pray for you. Or maybe you're here today and you say, you know, it's time for me to stop dating the church. It's time for me to get married. Then you can come today. You can come and be a part of this covenant fellowship and join the church gathering at Forest Baptist Church. So whether you need a salvation, prayer, a church membership, you can come as we all stand and sing our closing song. May we all stand.